ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Ben Holderness. We host the Holderness Family Podcast every Tuesday. You may know us from the silly videos that we make online. Or a book about marriage called Everybody Fights. Or as winners of season 33 of The Amazing Race. Still can't believe that happened. Listen, we do a lot of stuff, but our podcast is our most favorite thing. Yeah, because every week we get to sit down face-to-face, talk to each other about marriage, family, mental health, or just anything that we want to know more about. Sometimes we have expert interviews, sometimes it's just us, but our goal is to bring some joy and laughter into your life every week. Our other goal is that maybe you will learn something as well. Right. So search the Holderness Family Podcast and check out our most recent episodes. We have one about staying organized with creators of the Home Edit. And one about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. We hope you'll join us. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com I'm Jasmine Elmer and this is Legit Classics. How this is going to work is I'm going to get someone that knows some stuff about things in their field. I'm going to take the things I know about the stuff in my field, bring this all together and give you something bigger than either of us can do on our own. Whether you're here for the lulls or the learns, buckle up. It's time to get legit. All right. So today's show is with the multi-talented Dr. Emeka Okorocha. I hope I've pronounced that right. Uh, Emeka, do tell me if I haven't. Um, And from my research, not only are you an A&E doctor... Yeah. A Nigerian prince? Indeed. Technically, yes. Technically, yes. You, a, a model, is that true? Former model or model sometimes? I dabble. I dabble in dabble, d- dabble. I dabble. I know you're a fashionista. <laughs> you're a I social try. media, a social media star. I mean, author, because book's coming out soon, isn't it? Um, I think yep. in June, I think. Uh, yeah, June, June 23rd. June 23rd. Go, plug that right now, straight away, straight up off the bat. Yeah, that go, is so many. <laughs> yeah, that is so many things. I'm, I'm just just on the behalf of the general public. You can't have that many things, Emeka. It's not fair, is it? You can't. You, good looking doctor, Nigerian prince. I uh, mean, now, now my God, you've got it going me. on. You got it going hey, on. You're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I actually I didn't add in TV star because I actually did see you on uh, was it Junior Doctors uh, program? I did. Years yeah, back. That's, yeah. What, that's what kicked it all off. Yeah, so I mean, well, first of all, congratulations at such a young age having such an amazing career. But it is Thank a little you. bit stressful for the rest of us to meet someone like you that has <laughs> so much going on for them. But um, I try. Yeah. I love to my agent Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> well, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> so the first thing I want to ask you, Doctor Emeka, is: Have you ever studied any classics or Latin or Greek or anything like that in in, in school or even as part of your medical background? Um, not in depth. I think we did do like a chapter in medical school of like um, previous medicine, but we didn't really do ancient medicine. I did history at school. Cool. Did they have any Romans? We did. So, and I've always kind of like been a little bit interested in it, especially ancient medicine. Because I, I know they used to do some crazy, crazy treatments. Oh, for sure. Like they, they drill holes in the head for headaches yeah. and stuff. Trepanning. Like there's. And remember, a lot of it was very religious based back in the day. Yeah, I mean, we're superstitious. Gonna, for sure, we're going to go into that. And I'd love to talk to you about that a little bit more. But first of all, I've got to say, I absolutely love medicine. I watch all medical programs, which you probably will hate because loads of them are probably wrong and medical dramas are probably a nightmare. Um, but, but what I love is I love like diagnostics, which I think is possibly what most people okay. know. Did you ever watch House MD? 
Yes, I did. And I know what the answer is. It's always sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis. <laughs> oh, I don't sarcoidosis. know. If that, is that even common? That must be really rare, isn't it? If it's on house. Yeah, yeah. So, so sarcoidosis is basically diagnosis of exclusion. So when you have oh, a bunch right. of symptoms and you can't really tell what's going on, the body's producing one random inflammatory response, everyone just blames sarcoidosis. Is that the same as Kawasaki disease? Because that's always on there, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah, well. so yeah, Kawasaki disease is like an autoimmune rheumatological disorder. It's really, mm-hmm. really rare. They put it on there a lot, but I've never actually seen anyone <laughs> Kawasaki disease. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, they like, these, those, these they like the weird and wonderful diagnoses. I really like that show, actually. When oh, I was good. going to, when okay. I, yeah, throughout med school, I used to watch it. The medicine there is actually very accurate. That's one thing I give it. Oh, Some okay, medical cool. shows you see, yeah. I, when I saw Scrubs and Grey's Anatomy and stuff, there's certain yeah, things like you're like thinking, Anatomy. yeah, you're thinking, come on, that's not like, that's not how it works. <laughs> but with House, surprisingly, the medicine is actually quite good. Oh, that's good. I actually, that's possibly one of my favorites, actually. So that, that's it. a good one. Good to know. Well, that's good to know. If it's got a slight doctor's approval, that's quite yeah. cool. Don't worry, I'm not going to go around diagnosing everyone with sarcoidosis. <laughs> But um, yeah, so because I come from that kind of perspective, I kind of love those shows. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do a bit of like an ancient version of this. So what I did is I went through some ancient texts that I know speak about medicine. And obviously, I'm going to give I as part of these chats, uh, Dr. Emeka, I go, I kind of explain a bit about the ancient world. So I've mini lectures along the way, if you like, uh, hopefully not in a lecture form, but, you know, just so we can get some information out there. But um, what I wanted to do with you is I'm going to give there's a little brief descriptions, super brief descriptions. I want you to kind of imagine if you're, you know, in A&E and a patient turns up with these symptoms. Have you got any guess as to what disease this might be? And I'm going to give like, you know, massive disclaimer about this. This is not we're not diagnosing real diseases. You know, these are literary descriptions. So they're probably not even accurate. Go for it. Try me. So this one's from Pliny the Elder, who kind of wrote. Uh, quite a few things about the natural world and he's got a few sections on diseases and he uh-huh. this is the this is the description of this disease tell me if you think okay. you can work out what it might have been um is person turns up with a spot on the end of the nose the skin soon dries up all over the body and is covered with spots of varying colors the skin is uneven in places and sometimes thick sometimes hard with a rough scab finally it goes black and presses the flesh against the bones while the toes and the fingers swell have you got any idea what that could possibly be? Was that like the worst thing it, to ask the doctor ever? It, no, no, no. It sounds like a it sounds like a really bad dermatological disease. So like a necrotizing fasciitis or something. Oh god! Oh god! That's the one where your skin just like where your your flesh just like decays, yeah, right? Yeah, correct. Oh my god! Now, according to this section, it was actually leprosy. I don't know if that's close to what I don't know enough about. If that's the same genre of what you just said. It's very, it's very similar. Okay, very similar. Cool. Leprosy is. Leprosy is a bit more general, but like it, it presents similar to necrotizing fasciitis. There are only a few dermatological diseases, especially emergency ones like Stephen Johnson syndrome as well, where oh, your skin will actually turn black and like fall off the bone. It's pretty bad. But yeah, oh God, go- if, if you have time, Google it. Well, the treatment in ancient Egypt, actually, because we usually classics is really, you know, we're talking about Greece and Rome. Yeah. Um, but the, the treatment is actually a bath of warm human blood, according to uh, this text. Yeah. Uh, now, what is the real treatment for leprosy? If someone's got leprosy, what do we do today? So that, so it's, it's caused by a myobacterium, usually, mm-hmm. leprosy. So you, we generally give you this. There's certain, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's certain um, medications, there are pills we give. Okay. So it's a, so, it's a yeah, pill. So now, 
Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. But actually, or or an IV preparation, actually. Okay. I think now they actually give an IV preparation in the shot. Right, so human nowadays. human blood ain't gonna happen. But yeah, but no, <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen leprosy like ever in this modern day. Yeah, I mean, I don't know enough actually about whether it exists today. I mean, I don't know. I don't, we'd have to. I don't know if you know it if it exists in certain places in certain countries. Mm. It does mm. in certain countries. I think they still. They still occasionally see leprosy, but I've never actually seen or treated it Sweet. myself. Yeah, I, I, I guessed it was maybe in like rarer nowadays, but I think it's obviously something we consider, we know a bit more about from history, don't we? We think of it more of ancient disease, I think. Uh, anyway, so yeah. that's Pliny's idea. I mean, God knows if that's you know, actually what they did as well. But I've got another one for yeah. you now. So another, this is from Galen, who's one of the very famous ancient doctors. I don't know if you've come across him ever in your studies. Um, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. But he describes a disease that is a fever, lots of sweating, coughing, and blood-stained sputum. Now, that sounds like a lot of things, I imagine, but have you got an idea what that could have been? Fever, um, say again? It's fever, sweating, coughing, and then blood-stained sputum. I think, well, technically that could be any sort of bad respiratory infection. Mm -hmm. So even uh, pneumonia can cause... Yeah. Fever, sweating and bloodstained season. So in the text, it said TB, tuberculosis. So that was your, yeah. you're in the, totally the right genre there. And then how, yeah, do, yeah. how do we treat TB today then? So what's the treatment for that? TB now. Um, so first of all, you should have, you should be getting a shot. So you should be va- vaccinated okay. first off. Sure, fair enough. Yeah so, the first, yeah. so the first thing, the vaccine, it depends on the type of that tuberculosis. Generally, we give IV antibiotics. Okay, so it's antibiotics and usually the yeah. sort of thing. But that... But that's if the TB is caused by um, a bacterium. Okay, sweet. Because you can get different. Mm. You could get different types of TB. Oh, you could get like a malignant TB as well. And we obviously it's a um, we do contact tracing as well because it's a notifiable disease. So anyone right. here would have to be isolated. I did actually treat somebody on the infectious disease unit when I was in Birmingham working, mm-hmm. and we did see tuberculosis oh, because right. of the popular because of the diverse population in Birmingham. It's actually we see it more than. You'd think. So oh, I have treated really? TB before. Yeah, and I've seen it. Yeah. Similar to pneumonia. Yeah. But the way we diagnose it is from sputum samples, from blood tests and sputum samples. That's how we differentiate what type of TB you've got. And that will tell us how to treat you. Well, his, his idea for how to deal with this, Galen, and lots of other people mention this too, is a sea voyage. A sea voyage? <laughs> yeah, I mean... What? I, I don't know. Do you think... that is there anything in sea air or anything? Because I wondered about this. Like, a sea voyage is completely mad, right? So can there be anything in that at all? Is it complete... I know it wouldn't cure it, by the way. I'm not an idiot. I understand you need I, drugs to cure I, it. But, yeah. But, I mean, is, that, is there anything in that, do you think? Or... Honestly, not that... I, can, I wouldn't... I'm not, I can't see why it would be... Why it would help TB. Obviously, now what we give, like the the drugs we give, are quite serious, quite strong drugs, um, especially with antibiotics. Yeah. Because a lot of the time you get antibiotic resistance. But I don't know why a sea voyage. Yeah. So I don't want I don't want anyone to come into your A and E and you say, yeah, you've got TB. Here's a sea voyage. Here's a here's a here's a ticket for a cruise. Go and have go and enjoy yourself. I've got one more. Took a cruise and my TV's not helping. Exactly. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that's why I told you about this being really silly. Of course, we're not. We're not. Again, I know he keeps saying this, but I want to be very, very responsible here. We're not. Don't want anyone to listen to this and, and try any of these. Obviously, <laughs> try any of these are, old, old and, treatments. And on the next one, the last one, it's very simple. Yeah. It's just uh, visual impairment of any kind. 
I mean, what could, I mean, that's very hard for you to diagnose what that could be. Um, So we could probably just open discuss that one because all it says is visual impairment and one of the cures for that. So, I mean, I imagine the first thing we go to, I mean, you can't, you can't actually see me today. We're, We're just doing this as an audio, but I wear glasses. So my first thought is, you know, some kind of short-sightedness, long-sightedness, something like that. It it depends because, like, so visual impairment could be split up into so many different ways. Of course. So you you could have, like, a chronically worsening visual impairment. Mm. So you could have, like, a glaucoma or cataracts. Yes. They will cause visual impairment. Obviously, you can have um, long-sightedness and short-sightedness. That's the type of visual impairment. And then anything to do with the optic nerve and the vessels. So even, like, um, retinopathy could be caused by, like, stuff like diabetes. You can get... um, a damage to the vessels, you get central vessel atrophy. This will cause you to lose your vision as well. There's, yeah, you could probably the, do because, an hour on that, right? I guess. On yeah, what I, I I deal with like acute um sh- acute loss of vision. Uh-huh. So people come into A and E when they've just lost their sight. What do you think the most common issue with vision is caused? By, like, what causes the most common issues with vision? Um, I think it's. Nearsightedness of yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I know that there's probably a million other more technical, technically difficult things that could cause issues with with vision. But um, yeah. so I mean, what in terms of treatment? I mean, that's glasses, isn't it? And they didn't have glasses yeah. in those days. And you know, if it was something like cataracts, there is there is actually evidence that Romans um, performed cataract surgery uh, on individuals. God knows how how well that went. Probably not not brilliantly. Yeah. Um, but the actual answer, according to Pliny, is sexual intercourse will fix your oh. visual impairment. Sexual intercourse. <laughs> just... uh, you, you'll, be, you, you'll be seeing something. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. If you're serious about podcasting, Acast is serious about getting you paid. With millions of dollars paid to our podcasters, we're the best in the business in helping you make money from your craft on your terms. From ads and sponsorship by the world's biggest brands to getting paid directly by listeners through Acast Plus with subscriptions and one-time purchases, Acast offers more ways to earn revenue than any other platform. Join Acast with a three-month trial of our paid plan using the code JOIN. Just visit go.acast.com join. When it comes to ancient Greek and Roman medicine, obviously we have the we, some of it is borrowed from the Egyptians, but because we're talking about classics, mm-hmm. we're talking about Greece and Rome specifically. And I just want to give people just a bit of a grounding in ancient medicine. So, um, do you, the, the first most famous guy that anyone knows is the main man Hippocrates, who you've probably Hippocrates, heard yeah. of many times over. Uh, and he's yep. like the father, isn't he? Of of um, he's the father of modern medicine. Exactly, the father of modern medicine, and he sort of sets up some of these principles that doctors should abide by, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, if that's okay. And then yep, you we know, have to take an oath exactly, at graduation. Exactly. And I really want to talk to you. I want to deep dive into that oath with you actually a bit later, Dr. Emeka, because I think it's really fascinating. Um, yeah. And you're absolutely right. The really key thing for people to take away from this is that, you know, we have these doctors, particularly, there's lots of them, but particularly famously Hippocrates. And then later on, Galen, who's a kind of like Hippocrates, dates to sort of like uh, 460 BC around then. And Galen is kind of first century. Uh, second century AD. So there's like a big gap between them. But you'd like mm. Galen a bit more. I don't know if you've come across Galen before. Um, I don't think I have. No actually. worries, because, you know, unless you've done history of medicine in detail, you would know. But he's a really cool guy. And I think you'd like him because he's much more scientific. He's into kind of, 
you know, empirical evidence for things. He wants to look at That's anatomy. Me. Yeah, exactly. It's basically the foundation of modern oh. medicine. But I just want to mm-hmm. say, intersperse all this for the average person, the patient. You know, yeah. it, you're right. It's all mixed in with magic uh, and mixed in with kind of like superstition and religion. Yeah. So it's kind of a murkier mm-hmm. world. Like for you as a doctor, I think, you know, like I, we'll talk about this as well, about the distinction. But I think, you know, in this sense, it's medicine, but not as we know it. It's kind of people touting different remedies for things, if that makes some kind of sense. And the yeah. word medicine comes from medicus, which is Latin, which means a physician or a doctor. So, you know, like kind of it, that's where the word comes from. But ju- just with that, you know, just with that kind of like edge kind of drawn out for everyone so they kind of know what's going on. Have you heard of the four humours, which is the one of the, the major kind of belief systems in, in early medicine? The four humours. Yeah, have you heard of that before? No. So um, Hippocrates came up with this this idea, and it's kind of based on an uh, earlier philosopher called Empedocles, which was, which was all about um, the four elements, which you've probably heard of. And what he thought is that the human body was made up of these four humours, which are kind of liquids within the body. Um, and they okay. are black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. And most of the, the kind of medical principles are based on if these are out of balance in some way. Um, so it's kind of very unscientific and very strange. That's not really the basis of modern science, is it? <laughs> um, and importantly, I think that that kind of is the basis for everything that they're doing. So I'm sure you can agree that these aren't really very scientific ideas and not really the basis of modern medicine. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of the thing that, intercedes all of this is magical ideas because when you can't rely on medical fact what they fill in with is like magic or superstition or religion so on the latter like religion you go to a temple like the famous temple of asclepius and the idea is you go to the gods and you say hey fix this please it's busted and they help you but there's also people that peddle kind of magic and potions and lotions and some of those would be kind of natural remedies that probably might have worked but some of them are definitely magical where you kind of use like you know kind of figurines or amulets or or things like that to try and get some kind of remedy for your ailment so i'm kind of really interested in this relationship between like magic and medicine and how it's evolved kind of over time And, you know, do you experience with your patients this sort of interest in alternative therapies or even kind of magic and religion as a response to their to their illness? Is that something you've experienced? Um, Yeah, definitely doing work. And the thing is, I respect everyone's, you know, beliefs and everyone's religion and everyone has a different thought on their health. I think sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So I know a number of patients who, you know, who have chronic diseases, who may see a number of different doctors and nurses and physicians over time. And they genuinely know their bodies quite well. They know the disease process quite well. And they know what medications seem to help them. So as you go from trust to trust and hospital to hospital, different hospitals may have different guidelines on treating different diseases with antibiotics. However, some patients may come to you and say, actually, I've been on erythromycin and I was much better on that than I was on clarithromycin. Or when I took um, this sort of penicillin, I'm not allergic. However, I didn't get on with it very well. Yeah. And that's a good guidance because you could be like, okay, cool. Well, this worked last time. I could prescribe you this. Yeah. However, there are certain patients who come and they think they know more than you and they'll come to you and they'll tell you exactly what's going to happen and what they want done. And then it, it, it's a little bit awkward because you have to say, did I come to you or did you come to me? As in, <laughs> you're, coming to, you're coming to me for help. Uh, you said it, patient, 
is comes from the background the etymology of one who's suffering mm. so usually we are, you're coming to me so i can help you yes rather than me coming to you so i could help you does that make sense well, of course it does they still have yeah they still have to respect you do your job and you you're you're better than google and you've gone to medical school and you've seen <laughs> a lot of patients so you, you have that anecdotal evidence and experience that they may not have Absolutely. you could google your symptoms but if it was that simple you wouldn't have a doctor there wouldn't be doctors if it was that easy everyone would be able to do it themselves and treat themselves so i think it's it's two ways yeah it like i know a lot of patients that will say they'll go to like alternative medicine and herbs and healing and whatnot and hey that's all up to you but i can't support that in my practice because it's just not clinically backed with evidence you know what i mean I i'm not saying it doesn't work yeah i'm not, I'm not I'm, i actually believe that there are alternative ways for medicine mm-hmm. however what we practice is modern medicine stuff that's backed up by science yeah. if things go wrong we're, we're going to be the ones liable, isn't it? Of course, absolutely. I, I mean, of yeah. course. And I think that's really interesting because, you know, the ancient, like, you know, the word pharmacy, you know, which is obviously yeah. a place of drugs, it's pharmakia in Greek. So it's like, it means drugs and magic. It's, this is what I mean by it being all blurry, even in their vocabulary, yeah. it's blurry. Um, and I, I know what you mean because I guess we can become over reliant. We know this with the antibiotic resistance, for example, don't we? That, that we can become over reliant on drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not by by. I must say again, another disclaimer. I I fully whatever a doctor tells me, I believe and I follow religiously. Um, but I think, <laughs> but I think you know, like I wonder, there is a bit of a what psychosomatic is that the right word for effect yep. on um, mm-hmm. potentially on with some remedies. Yeah, that's exactly why you see uh, placebo effects. Yes, exactly placebo, which is another another classical word. So yeah, I think, I mean. I guess it's but you wouldn't prescribe that, would you? You wouldn't prescribe that necessarily. But do you try and encourage your patients into positive thinking and or yeah. that sort of thing? You know, because mm-hmm. for me, I th- I don't know the science behind this, but then if there's an effect, I try and take any illness with as much positivity as I can. There is. Like, right. you can't, it hasn't been, like, genuinely proven in terms of research and studies. But I've definitely seen anecdotal evidence of patients who have more positive mindset tend to get better on the on the whole that's really interesting we actually studied it a little bit back in medical school like in year one medical school um like the the pain um threshold but there was a model in terms of thinking and illness and disease and how uh different people are affected by the different ways they think and how disease will affect them there's like a there's like a whole pathway model to it so i I've and i've definitely seen it on the wards Positive patients tend to do better than the negative ones who kind of like know that they're terminal and they've kind of accepted it. I know a lot of people refuse to believe they have disease. Do you think we could put more emphasis on on that kind of helping patients with their their attitude or their mental health when it comes to dealing with illness? I've been in intensive care, for example, uh, when my son was born. And I do know that um, I actually sought some kind of private therapy and to help me with that mentally. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that propelled myself forward, but I know resources are stretched, but do you think we should have a bit more, if, if, if we had more unlimited resources, say, do you think there could be more emphasis on that kind of helping patients yeah. through mentally and therefore hoping for, you know, kind of physical response in the body that's yes, beneficial? 100%. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think it's really beneficial to mentally get patients in a place where they can then physically get better. It's hard to actually physically get better if you're not mentally in that right sure. right frame of mind. We get this in ancient texts sometimes. It's kind of like the temperament of the individual and a kind of how positivity and getting up and dealing with it is is a good thing 
I just want to go into one little last section with you, Dr. Emmerich, if that's okay. And that's, sure we, we mentioned it about the Hippocratic Oath. And I'd love yeah. to chat to you about this because um, obviously we spoke about Hippocrates. He's known as, like you said, the father of medicine. He's held up yeah. in high esteem because he's probably one of the first individuals that attempts to take medicine as a scientific, more scientific um, subject and approach separate to things like philosophy and religion. So he tries to start to draw those distinctions. Now, I'll be honest, you know, it takes, it doesn't work for a very long time, but at least he's trying to, to, to move in that direction. But did you take the Hippocratic Oath out of interest? And do UK doctors still take it or do they? Yeah, yeah, we had to take it, and graduation day. Can I ask you, honestly, as a young man as well, um, what your opinion of it is about relevance to to modern medicine as a young, you know, as a young doctor at that time coming in? Honestly, I couldn't even really remember it. So we, we were basically <laughs> on on graduation day when we were all doing the big pictures. Yeah. Um, like when we were graduation, I remember I was one of the uh, the taller people. Yeah, so I know. I was actually, six foot six. That sounds like a really creepy thing yeah. that I know about you, but um, it did come up on the <laughs> research. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so I was literally stood at the middle. I right at the back, because I was the tallest one in the year group. I was mm. in the middle right at the back. And I was so high, I was just trying to focus on not falling off the back. Because <laughs> I, I if, I, if I fall, it's over for me. So, <laughs> and so we, were given, we were given a piece of paper with the Hippocratic Oath on it to read out, obviously. And I, I, ba- I barely even was looking at it because I was just so scared. Of, I'm not really scared of heights, but where I was was very unstable. And I was just trying not to fall. So I remember that very briefly we read it but I didn't really take too much into it because I was too concerned with other things well you probably know like the basic principle of it is to to do no harm to do no harm yeah, yeah. so there there's um the principles of medicine like so the patient autonomy uh justice what does patient autonomy what do you mean patient autonomy how do how do, what does that mean so 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 patient autonomy is the fact that the patient gets to make the decision about their own health okay so I can never choose a decision on you. I can never tell you you must do this, and okay. this is your only option. Has so to you be could advice, even choose essentially. Yeah, it's advice. Right. You could choose to take an antibiotic. You could choose not to take an antibiotic. You could choose to have a blood test done or an X-ray. You can choose not to have a blood test done or an X-ray. Mm-hmm. But it is patient choice. That's patient autonomy. Do you, is that I don't is that in the Hippocratic Oath? Do you know or not? Because one, of, um, I don't think it's specifically. I think it is. The thing. Actually, let me have a look. Yeah, <laughs> you Google that while we're doing this. Um, because yeah. I wonder about the role of euthanasia in that then, because that's this is obviously a very controversial and difficult topic. It's but difficult it, because euthanasia is illegal. Yes. Yeah, so it's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, the four principles: not uh, non maleficence is to do no harm. Yeah. Beneficence yeah. is to do good to the patient. These are all Latin, by the way. That's why yeah. I know what they are. <laughs> Just justice is um, basically fairness and justice for all. You treat every patient the same. More Latin. And then patient autonomy. Yeah. Patient autonomy is the fact that the patient gets to make the decision yeah. about their own health. Yeah. Okay. I understand. Yeah. So, so in that sense, like, because I get that euthanasia is a legal consideration, not necessarily the Hippocratic yeah. oath, but. You know, I think that's one grey area. If we just forget the law a minute, I'm not telling people to forget the law. I'm talking about this in a philosophical, moral, like kind of moralistic way rather than a legal way. But yeah. the role of, I mean, it must be one of the hardest things as a doctor to know perhaps that you, one of your patients is going to die and that they would like to end their life in, in a, in a, in a, in a yeah. way that's befitting to them. Exactly, absolutely. And in some ways that's kind of in line with exactly what the Hippocratic Oath is, is you know, asking you to do. Yet there's this kind of murky area, right, with that. So 
does it need changing and updating? No, no, it's it's hard it's hard to say because I agree and I don't I disagree because okay. I know in a lot of instances, especially because I did a little bit of work in geriatric and palliative care, mm-hmm. there are a lot of patients who know the end of the road is near. Right. And a lot of them want to go in a dignified manner. Mm-hmm. I have had patients who've actually gone over. I think they went over to Switzerland. Yeah, is it dignified? And were, it? yeah, yeah. Mm. they went over to Switzerland and where it's legal for euthanasia. And mm. That's what they did. Mm. However, we we can't promote it nor advise it. No, I understand. In medicine, because obviously, we our, our our efforts are to save every patient we can. Yeah. And if if not, but we the only thing we can do is like DNARs. Yeah, forms. is that do not resuscitate so, orders? Yeah, yeah. DNA, yeah, DNA CPR. So it means do not resuscitate or perform CPR. Okay. And that allows a patient to kind of go Have in a dignified manner. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, CPR is is quite traumatic. I'm sure. And CPR is quite traumatic. And even those who survive, yeah, CPR often their lasting effects, like broken bones and sternum, and obviously oh, the gosh. psychology yeah. and the fact that you you were dead and you're now back. Yeah, it's it's a lot for someone to take. So Sometimes we discuss with the patients, rather than obviously euthanasia, which is the active killing of a person or active suicide, mm. DNA CPR just means when it's your time, it's your time and we'll let you go naturally. I hear what you're saying. I think the other area yeah. of the Hippocratic Oath that's kind of, I think, really pertinent today is because they had no understanding of germs and microorganisms. They didn't really mm-hmm. deal with this issue that as a doctor, you put yourself at personal risk in order to help your patients. You doctors, nurses, healthcare assistants, anyone that worked in the NHS, works in the NHS, Mm -hmm. is putting yourself at personal risk every time you deal with a patient with anything that's infectious, right? And that's not included in the Hippocratic Oath. And I wonder... that how 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 do you deal with that? Like, I mean, is is there anything else in like medical guidelines that help you? That's a very good point because, yeah, because we we all saw it during the pandemic. Of course, and, and you lost unfortunately, many colleagues. we we lost yeah we lost colleagues mm. who technically put themselves at risk to treat their patients and paid the ultimate price. Mm. But a lot of people were very scared. Of course, of going to work. Yeah, a lot of people were very very scared. A lot of my colleagues they just didn't want to come in, but like it's your job. You don't really have a choice, you know what I mean? Yeah, because I think what I'm trying to no. say, you know, in, in, in Hippocrates' time, you know, there was none of yeah. this understanding that you could treat somebody and catch something like that. They didn't understand mm-hmm. that, that kind of the notion of, of, of microorganisms and things like that. So, But then again, would it change anything? Because now, now we know, but it's, it's not gonna, you're still going to have to see your patients and do your job. If you don't, who will? No, and, and I think... Nobody really signed up for it in that sort of sense. Nobody... When we all took the oath and we we all nobody actually thought we were gonna be in any real harm's way. Yeah. So before we were even allowed on clinical wards and medicine, we had to go through occupational therapy and they had to see all of the vaccines we'd taken, like tuberculosis mm. and diphtheria mm. and all this stuff. Cause we you wouldn't you weren't allowed anywhere near infectious disease unless you'd um taken those and you'd had your jabs and your vaccine. Obviously, yeah. when COVID came, mm. none of us had a vaccine. Of course. So it was the first time we were actually putting ourselves severely at risk. Yeah. And a lot of people felt, I could get it and die. Of course. And some people did. I know. And I think that's, that's. I mean, obviously, we're talking about this from the ancient world, but, you know, that's... Yeah, this is modern day. And, you know, obviously, we had, there were plenty of pandemics in the ancient world, but the role, yeah. the role of medical professionals today is very different, you know, to them. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's more business. You know, it's a business-minded thing in the ancient world. Um, 
but I feel like you know you you made the point. I think it's about the the person, the char- the type of person that goes into healthcare is so fully invested in the vocation of the work. Um, yeah. That that it, they almost don't question um, their own personal safety because they're so devoted. Uh, and yep. I think that's. I mean, I know. I know. I say this for all medics worldwide, but certainly for the NHS as well. Like you know, I'm always. I I, I just think it's amazing what the NHS does. And I I know. And I know on behalf of myself and everyone, I would like to thank everyone at this moment. But you know, thank you. What we're looking at here is an evolution of medicine as a as a scientific discipline that is based on observation, testing. You know, kind of real evidence of how the body works, and you know. The foundation of all of that, though, comes from the Greek world and into the Roman. We haven't really had time really to to touch on things like surgery, um, which, you know, you mentioned triplaning earlier on, where they drill the holes in the head, yeah, uh, which is messed mm-hmm. up. I mean, that happens in lots of ancient cultures, not just the classical period. Um, I'm not really sure what, is, what was supposed to treat. Like, is it like chronic headaches or something? I'm not really sure. Apparently, but, yeah. I think they were releasing demons from the head. Yeah, I mean, like of course. I mean, it's. I mean, it depends on the on the culture you're talking about. Um, and, you know, and that, funny enough, you can. It is actually a treatment nowadays in modern medicine for certain things. Is it? It's called like a burr hole craniotomy. Okay, they made it sound a bit yeah. bit better than. <laughs> so they, yeah, basically, when you have in some cases when you have severe swelling and breathing okay. in the brain, uh-huh. and you need to release pressure urgently but obviously it's done in a very different manner than how they did it before <laughs> in, in olden days so like what i find really fascinating about medicine is they got some things right a lot of them have a real effect on the body of course they're not necessarily as, as successful as our modern drugs might be but you know they had reasonable suggestions at times and then others were mad like the things that we started off with completely insane crazy stuff they, and, uh, it didn't make sense bathroom warm <laughs> blood say going on a voyage like yeah, I, don't, the I, I think there's like those must be like spiritual stuff. Like there must be some sort of religious background to that because those don't medically or make any common sense whatsoever. Well, I think I, I mean, unfortunately, the ancient world doesn't always make any. We have these distinctions with logical thought and kind of scientific exploration, yeah. and we're interested in all that. And it's not that they're not, but it's fledgling. It's really new in those days. So they don't always follow this kind of methodology that we might today. One of my favorite things about the ancient world is just some of these things just completely insane. And I really enjoy the kind of randomness of it all. I kind of really have enjoyed Dr. Emeka Owl, like kind of more philosophical moral debates here. Cause I think that's really important kind of how, how we do medicine as well as like kind of just the, what we know about medicine. Um, yeah. But I do this little thing at the end. We're going to, we're going to kind of sum up now. We're going to do a little thing at the end. Um, if you remember back in the day of school, uh, your teachers always wanted to like sum it up a little bit at the end, didn't they? Kind of what have you learned? It's a sort of thing that we have to do. It's like in our DNA or something. So what I usually yeah. do with all my guests, and the name of the game is Legitimates, because this is legit classic. Legitimates. And it's like, can we be mates together? Mates. Like your subject to my subject type like, thing. You get it? I like that. Yeah, I do. I like like that. That. So they get 60 seconds and they have to try and explain anything that we've discussed or learn a little summary of things. Just try and recap whatever you've learned today or points of interest anything you want to do okay. in 60 seconds all right are you up for that uh yeah sure i'll count you in then it three cool. two one so what i've learned today uh mainly is that the ancient uh, classic classical form of medicine was a little bit bizarre <laughs> they had a number of different techniques for things obviously um hippocrates is the father of modern medicine but there's also galen who played a massive part in terms of medicine. 
back then, someone a bit more modern, modernized and a bit more scientific. The four humors of medicine they believed were um, from, I think it was yellow bile, yep. black bile, mm-hmm. phlegm and blood. Oh, mate, well done. And, well done remembering that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and they thought that all disease was caused by an imbalance of one of these humors, either too much or too little in the body. And that's how they usually used to base their treatment. A lot of the treatments they did were supernatural and spiritual, and they believed a lot of um, illness and ailments came from gods or supernatural background. Um, what else? And I believe that now. Oh, you, did you hear the gong? I don't know if you could hear the gong there. Ah, uh, yeah. You, I you heard did, the gong right in. I tell you what, I've always been in awe with doctors about this because you have to, you have to have this like encyclopedic knowledge where just information gets in your head. Um, and you just yeah. remembered so much. So I'm very, very impressed with that. That's, you did really well. Thank you. It's a good takeaway. You did really well. Like, I can see how you passed all your exams and how you're a good doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that, a good crown. Yeah, nice. Nicely done. Um, so um, I'm just going just gonna to say thank you so much again for joining me on my podcast today. This has been <laughs> Legit Classics with Dr. Emeka Okorocha. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Ben Holderness. We host the Holderness Family Podcast every Tuesday. You may know us from the silly videos that we make online. Or a book about marriage called Everybody Fights. Or as winners of season 33 of The Amazing Race. Still can't believe that happened. Listen, we do a lot of stuff, but our podcast is our most favorite thing. Yeah, because every week we get to sit down face-to-face, talk to each other about marriage, family, mental health, or just anything that we want to know more about. Sometimes we have expert interviews, sometimes it's just us, but our goal is to bring some joy and laughter into your life every week. Our other goal is that maybe you will learn something as well. Right. So search the Holderness Family Podcast and check out our most recent episodes. We have one about staying organized with creators of the Home Edit. And one about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. We hope you'll join us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.